This morning we continue our series. It's called the Refuse Series. We're walking through Matthew chapter 26 through Matthew chapter 28 through the coming weeks, uh, through Easter actually. Today is Refuse to be Faithful. And if you read the scripture on the screen during the offering, it gives you an indication of, of who we're talking about today, and that being Judas. If you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 6, we're going to use John chapter 6 as a foundation for understanding Matthew chapter 26, and we look at those verses In fact, when we get to Matthew 26 here in a little bit, we'll only be looking at verses 14 through 16. So we'll be in John chapter 6. Have you ever wondered why it is that some church-going people stop going to church? That some Christians walk away from the faith? We had a discussion on this on Wednesday night Bible study a couple of weeks ago of um, when we were studying First John that uh, they were among us, but they were not of us and they had departed and, and uh, it just causes you to question why, why would someone leave the faith? And those who are uh, preachers and worship leaders and in Christian bands, you hear that the deconstruction of faith, where they just decide, you know, I don't believe that anymore. Um, it's difficult to understand, and we can question that, but we look at Scripture and we say, well, if they've walked away, it's because they were never part of us anyway. And that gives us understanding. In John chapter 6, uh, some pretty significant things happened here. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people miraculously. We see him next walking on water, making his way across the sea, meeting the disciples. And then when we're on the other side, the next day, the other side of the sea, the people realize once they awakened that Jesus was no longer there. So they made their way to the other side of the sea and Jesus chastised them for following him because he said they came, and these are my words, they came for more food. They weren't following him because they loved him. They just loved what he gave them. Well, in that exchange, he claimed to be the bread of life. John 6, verse 53, while in the synagogue, Jesus said these shocking words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, I don't think you and I would be very successful in leading people to Christ if that was the verse we used. It's horrifying. It's morbid. What do you mean eat the flesh? Well, it it is equally as shocking to the Jews who heard this. Jesus explained 
here uh, in John chapter 6, verses 60 through 65. We read these words. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Well, the disciples responded much like anyone else would. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. This is, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to this? And Jesus took that time and said, hold on. We're talking about spirit. We're talking about life. We're not talking about flesh and blood. There's a deeper meaning to what I'm saying to you than what you're hearing. Jesus also knew, as we read here, that that some disciples just did not believe and that there was one who would betray him. Discipleship.org identifies three critical characteristics of a disciple. They faithfully follow Jesus. They're faithfully committed to the mission of Jesus. And Jesus faithfully changes them. I think we could agree with that. But as we look at chapter 6 in John, as the teaching got more difficult, who was it that departed from him? Disciples. As more was required of them who who rejected him or who retreated the disciples therefore being called a disciple of Jesus is not an indicator of a saving relationship with Jesus verse 66 says many of his disciples turned back never to walk with him again Have you contemplated that? The gravity of that statement? I think it's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. That one, and depart from me before I never knew you. But many of his disciples turned away because of this, never to walk with him again. That's pretty huge. We should not assume that following Jesus is easy. For example, we're commanded to take up our cross daily and follow him. We're commanded to deny ourselves. And we're told that we can expect to be persecuted because we follow him. It's not an easy journey at all. Well, the disciples who walked away at this point saw the benefit of being associated with Jesus but we're not faithful to Jesus. 
They were trying to live in the power of God while they comfortably lived their own lives. You may have seen the power of God change someone's life and you're compelled to see if God can do that for you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we have to be cautious about how we approach God in a relationship. Uh, We see this a lot in um, having someone who is uh, down and out, someone who has taken many paths toward destruction and God saves them and radically changes them. And then others who have walked that same path look at that and say, I I want the same thing that happened to you. And if that's you that you're, you're looking, say, you know, I, I want to try Jesus. I want to see if he can work out my situation too. I, I need you to understand this morning that you don't try on Jesus like a pair of shoes. You don't see if he fits. You don't see if he's going to do what you think he's going to do and then decide whether you're going to be faithful or not. You don't begin a relationship in that way. In fact, a relationship with Jesus requires you to faithfully surrender yourself to his authority. That's how you begin. There's no hidden motive. You, you don't say, well, I'm going I'm to go to church. I'm going I'm to commit myself to him to see if he blesses me, to see if he heals me, to see if I get this job. That, that's not why we... Associate, our, associate ourselves with Jesus. So what is the primary motive of a relationship with Jesus? And, and I would say it's love. We love and respond to him because he first loved us and he is the only way to be reconciled to God. And as you faithfully follow Jesus and you're faithfully committed to his mission, he will change you. He will do his work in you. We tend to get that upside down. Let's continue on in John chapter 6. This is uh, verses 67 through 71. Well, let's go 60, yeah, 67 through 71. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So some of the disciples, before they walked away, you know, this is difficult teaching. Uh, we, we can't do this. And they just turn away, never to walk with him again. And then the other disciples, uh, you know, Jesus turned to them and said, well, are you leaving too? Who, who else is worthy to follow? And, and what Peter said, I, I believe, is, is profound because he's speaking on behalf of the 12, the, the disciples. We know that you have the words of eternal life. We know that you are the Holy One of God. But that was not enough for Judas, as we see here in this passage. And here's a lesson for you and I today. You could be in a group of disciples. You can have the same knowledge as those disciples, but that does not make you a true disciple. Judas obviously was not. 
You can faithfully attend church and not be reconciled to God. You can serve, you can teach, you can give, but you can still hear the words, depart from me because I never knew you. You and I can fool each other. Sometimes we can fool ourselves. But make no mistake, Jesus knows the motives of our hearts. Always. Now we can go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, last week, we looked at the previous verses. What was happening there? There was a woman who came to Jesus and anointed him with expensive ointment. And the scripture tells us that the disciples were indignant because they could have sold that ointment and and provided for the poor. Um, Miss Lynette shared with me last week, and it was just a point. I, I know that it's, it's there. I just did not bring it out, but I think it's, it's pretty important. She came to Jesus with her very best for the purpose of anointing him. It wasn't like she showed up to Jesus and said, well, what do I have? What do I have to give him right now? She intended to do this. It's a beautiful picture of giving all that she had in this time of worship. John 12, verse 6, reveals something more sinister that's going on here, specifically with Judas. Judas was not saddened or upset because of the poor. John chapter 12, verse 6 says, he was the thief among the 12, that he had control of the money bag. And if the money wasn't in the bag, he couldn't take it. This is why he was upset and walked away. Judas was a disciple. He knew Jesus was the anointed one of God, but he had hidden motives that dictated his behavior. D.A. Carson said this, like most human motives, his included greed and jealousy combined with profound disappointment that Jesus was not acting like the Messiah he had expected. What happens if, if you do not have a right relationship with Jesus and things don't work out the way you planned? What happens if you don't have a right relationship with Jesus and he doesn't do what you think he ought to do? Here's what happens. You refuse to be faithful to him and you walk away. And that's exactly what Judas did here. Scripture said Judas turned from Jesus and went to the chief priests, who, by the way, we know from previous verses, are right now scheming to kidnap and murder Jesus. After the Passover. Now, Judas was not coerced into going. 
They did not have his arm behind his back. They didn't have him down on the ground telling him to confess. That's not how it happened. In fact, the chief priests were not out looking among the disciples, trying to decide who is the weakest link. Who can we apply pressure and get the information we need? They weren't doing that. No, Judas sought the opportunity to betray Jesus for his personal gain. Verse 15, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Let me rephrase the question. What's in it for me? That is a selfish heart. Matthew Henry said this. This was the only thing that made Judas betray his master. He hoped to get money for it. Judas was willing to take whatever they would have to offer. And they offered 30 pieces of silver to which he said, okay, that's good enough for me. And there's some significance that goes with this 30 pieces of silver. I read in commentaries, and and they're opposing 30 pieces of silver, not that much. Others would say, that's a whole lot. Well, I guess it depends on who you are. Some say it's four months wages. Well, that's a lot. However, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, 30 pieces of silver was designated as the life for a slave. So if your slave got gored by an ox, you had to pay someone 30 pieces of silver. It was not a lot of money. So when we look at this, the religious leaders that we've already determined knew who he was, that Jesus was from God. He did these miracles because he was from God. They acknowledged that, but yet they valued his life as equal to that of a common slave. Verse 16 says, and from that moment, Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. How difficult would this be? You just met with the chief priest. You were a little upset about all that had happened before. You now have an offer of 30 pieces of silver to turn Jesus over to them. And so you return to Jesus. And you have a dishonest heart. And you're looking for a chance to get paid. How difficult would that be? I wonder if there might be some of us in here that are very similar. We're here for a dishonest reason or an impure motive. Hoping to get something for ourselves. Judas would have to act as if everything was normal. Hanging with his buddies that he's been with for nearly three years. Walking with Jesus. Preparing the Passover. I tell you, Judas must have been putting on a pretty good show because not even the disciples suspected a thing. As we saw, as they sat around the table, is it me? Is it me? Who could it be? No one suspected Judas. If Judas was good at anything, it was being a hypocrite, pretending to be something that he was not. And that's what was happening right here. But Jesus knew the truth. He knew about Judas. There were prophecies about him being betrayed. 
Jesus is God. He knows all things. And he knew in the, the passage that we read before, he knew that one was going to betray him. He knew who it was. Called him of the devil. But here's something else we see with Jesus. Though with the knowledge of the, the betrayer in his presence, he loved Judas and he served Judas. Why would he do that? Scripture tells us that Jesus was the suffering servant. Scripture tells us he was a man of sorrows. He was a slave to righteousness. That Jesus was obedient to the Father even unto death on a cross. This is why Jesus tells us to love one another. Because he did. And we follow him. Would you describe yourself as faithful to Jesus? Or faithful to yourself? Would you say that you seek to know and do the will of God or you seek God's blessing to do your will? Now, these are important questions that we would ask ourselves because it reveals the motive of our hearts. I'm asking you what you would say, how you would describe, but more importantly, how would Jesus describe you? Would he look at you and say, my faithful servant who seeks to know me, who seeks to do what I say, who seeks to honor me as they deny self and follow me? Is that what Jesus would describe you as? A Christian seeking opportunity to benefit oneself will always be dissatisfied with a Christian life. You will be dissatisfied with your walk. You will be frustrated with other Christians. You will be frustrated with the church. You'll be frustrated with God. You will mumble and you will grumble just like the disciples did. You'll mumble among yourself. You will mumble, mum, mumble, mumble and grumble to other people. You're not going to exercise um, God's authority. You're not going to recognize him as the head of the church. You'll not experience the promises of God, which increases your frustration. What's the point? Why am I walking? All the, why am I doing all these things? Why am I giving to all these things? Why am I serving in all these, these ways? How come I'm doing all of this and I'm not experiencing the promises of God? How come I'm not getting what I want out of this? What are you giving? So the transaction biblically is this. I give the entirety of my life to Jesus Christ. I don't hold anything back. It's called surrender. I've shared with you before, but I think the illustration is, is so profound that in Desert Storm, when uh, we had Iraqi soldiers coming toward us. They would have both hands out. And they would say, Bush is good, Bush is good, Bush is good. Because they knew that if we would take them, we would feed them and we would clothe them, we would give them shelter. But if any one of those soldiers had a hand behind the back and one hand saying the same thing with the same actions, but with one hand in front of them, they would have been treated far differently by American soldiers. 
Because that's not surrender. Some of us are trying to live life this way. We're, we're saying, God, I surrender my Sunday. I surrender my Wednesday. I surrender this portion of my life. But you're holding back. You cannot grow in Christ that way. You cannot become who he's called you to be if you're holding something back. You're not experiencing the promises of God because you're holding on to your own life. Surrender is everything. We lay it all at the altar and we walk away. Put to death the old self renewed in life in Jesus Christ. If you're not faithfully following Jesus, you're not committed to his mission and you're not being changed by Jesus, perhaps you're a disciple by name only today. I don't believe we wake up scheming to betray Jesus. But a question that we must ask ourselves, what am I seeking? Paul said this, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, Romans 2.8. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33. Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah 55.6. And God said, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. Proverbs 8.17. This morning, I believe there's a clear call. And, and the clear call is this, to seek the Lord diligently. It doesn't matter your spiritual maturity. It does not matter your, your frequency of attendance or how, how many years you have come to church. The call is to seek the Lord diligently. It's to abandon the association of the church, the association of Christianity, and become a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that today? We sang some, some old favorites today. And another one comes to mind. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus is the answer. There is no other. We can try to play the game. We can do this little shell game. We put the P under one. We move it around and around, try to guess which one. And we can try to work it out, try to live in both worlds. We try to live in, in a world that, that is, is uh, in, in the name of God, but we live for ourselves. And it doesn't work. And it's frustrating. If you want to experience the promises of God, what he said will happen and what he will do in your life, if you want to know that and have that in your life, the only way to do it is to surrender the authority of your life to him. And that's everything. We can't hold anything back anymore. 
Are you refusing to be faithful today? This morning, I pray that as we respond to his word, that that we could celebrate what God has done, for we could not do it on our own. I believe it was last week I said, you, you, you cannot do enough good. You can't say enough prayers. You can't stop doing enough bad things to be reconciled to God. Jesus is the only way. He put on flesh and was born. He was born in a miraculous way. And he lived a life without sin. Though he was tempted, he did not sin. And he obeyed the Father to death on a cross. And we're told in Scripture that he did that to reconcile us to God and that we would have forgiveness of all of our sins. All the offenses we have against God would be erased forevermore. That's the only way we can be reconciled. And it's only through Jesus. Well, they buried him. And three days later, he overcame death to prove it's all true. Now he extends an invitation to you and me. It's not to come and walk near him. It's not to be associated with a bunch of other people who follow him. But it's for you to faithfully follow him. It's for you to be faithfully committed to his mission so that he might faithfully change you into his image. Well, if that's the desire of your heart, there's one response today, and that's called surrender. I'm not living like this anymore. Lord, I give it all to you today. So I pray that if God is speaking to your heart today, that, that you won't let pride get in your way. There's nothing more important in this life than to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and be promised eternal life with him. Jesus said, you can serve, you can clothe, you can visit, you can do all the good things. But if he does not know you, you will depart from him where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. The choice is yours. He's already done all the work. He's just inviting you to come. Would you do that today? Maybe you want to come and just thank him. Maybe you want to just come and worship or you want to come and surrender something you've been holding back. So as y'all come this morning to lead us in worship, in this time of invitation, I want to pray. And then as we stand and sing in just a moment, this is your opportunity to respond to God. What is he saying to you and what will you do with that? Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we do submit ourselves to you and to your word your authority, your truth. Lord, may it sink deep in our hearts and may it compel us to live faithfully for you, to release those things that we try to control, to surrender all to you. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who made this possible. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.